The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. So, welcome to the Buddhist Society of Victoria, to the Buddha Loka Buddhist Centre this evening, Monday evening. So, it's for the Monday evening meditation. So, as I often mention, it's nice to meditate to group, together in a group um, and we get a special energy from that, I find myself. So, as I've, well, I think <laughs> I've uh, been meditating on my own for quite a long time. You know, for eight years I was living in a cave. So, meditating in a group is quite a, a, a special thing that uh, I appreciate and I think people find very helpful. The Burmese certainly do, because they created the, the idea, the concept of a meditation centre. <laughs> so they definitely found it very beneficial. So I'll just introduce myself for those online. My name is Ajahn Nisarano, and I am an Australian monk who ordained 22 years ago as a, a fully ordained monk in Perth in Western Australia with Ajahn Brahm. And... Uh, for the last 13 and a half years, I've been living in Sri Lanka in various places, um, particularly on my own for those eight years, but other times in monasteries. So this evening uh, we are having a meditation evening, a guided, there'll be a guided meditation. Usually I start with a bit of a talk, a background to it, and then um, about half an hour and then we can have a meditation for about 40, 45 minutes. 45 minutes, good. So the background for this evening is this week I was talking to a woman who had just been to a retreat in Western Australia and she said she found it very helpful because it was focusing on vipassana, we call insight meditation. And in particular, it seems for her at least, there, must, there might have been other aspects to it, that she was focusing on the refrain, the insight passage that comes from the main teaching on mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta. Many Buddhists will know that, but people who are new to, to Buddhism will, will probably find that quite a lot to take in. But uh, this Satipatthana Sutta is the, what the Buddha called right mindfulness, and it's a very central practice of uh, meditation, especially Buddhist meditation. And so I'd just like to, I will go into that in a minute, but uh, the, the purpose of meditation and our Dhamma practice is really to know and to be aware, to be aware of what we're experiencing, to know what we're experiencing. If we don't know what we're experiencing, if we're not aware of it, it's very difficult to develop an understanding, to deal with it in a very positive way. It's okay when it's very pleasant, but if it's negative then if we aren't really aware of what's going on, we distract ourselves. We can't learn um, very positive ways of dealing with it. So this is a big part of meditation practice and Dhamma practice, really, is to learn from our experience, to understand our experience. And what are we um, focusing on? We're focusing on this body and this mind. Because if we understand our own minds and our own bodies, We've got a good idea of what's going on for most people, actually, with some variations. <laughs> so it's important. 
And this learning leads to these insights. You know, when we when we are aware in the present moment, we're collecting information and data on experience about our experience of this body and the mind. And because we have that data, then we can develop these insights. We can understand what we're experiencing. And this is what I came. I used to call. She said, "Insight is understood experience. Is when we've digested." <laughs> all the information, all the data we have, and we've understood it. Then we get these breakthroughs, these insights. So I'll just mention briefly what uh, Satipatthana is. And uh, Satipatthana, of course, as I mentioned, is right mindfulness, samasati, sati, samasati. And the English translations for this very uh, well-known one is establishments of mindfulness. Ajahn Brahm uses focuses of mindfulness, I think Ajahn Tanistaro frameworks, framework of mindfulness, I think it is, something like that framework. And the uh, famous one, Foundations of Mindfulness. And what is mindfulness? That Well, mindfulness, yes, indeed. Mindfulness, the original meaning was to have memory, to be able to remember things that occurred a long time ago. And the Buddha said the foremost person, uh, foremost monk, in uh, his time, who for mindfulness was the Venerable Ananda, his personal assistant, who remembered practically the whole of his teachings. Not all of it, but practically whole of it, almost. And so this is a very important part of mindfulness, remembering, because we forget the object of meditation quite often. And I like um, Ajahn Tanisro's uh, translation of uh, Thai teachers, um, a concept of keeping the mind in breath. That's remembering the remembering the breath, and it's an, I think very for me useful anyway of looking at it. But also mindfulness is particularly paying attention to what's happening here and now in the present moment in this body and mind, because this is where we get the data, where we get the information about what's going on in this body and mind. But we need a combination of this present moment awareness, building up the data, but we also need to be able to remember what we're doing, yes, the meditation object, and remember the instructions, you know, the Buddha's advice um, for the meditation, for looking at our experience, giving us a sort of a framework to view our experience in. So we need that present moment awareness, but we also need the instructions for uh, what we're experiencing in the present moment, how to look at it, you know, sort of ways that are useful ways of looking at it. And so, and this is um, this quite a nice uh, uh, teaching the Buddha gives, and I like this one, which, which uh, brings this together. And it's uh, this bringing together of the awareness of the present moment and the instructions is like a person who's balancing a pot of oil on their head. And this is from one of the teachings of the Buddha. It's a really good image, I think, fantastic image. Sticks in the mind. The Buddha was very good at making things memorable. <laughs> so he says, this is from the suttas, Suppose, monks, that a large crowd of people comes together, comes thronging together, saying, the beauty queen, the beauty queen. And, they, and suppose that the beauty queen is highly accomplished at singing and dancing, so that even an even greater crowd comes thronging, saying, the beauty queen is singing, the beauty queen is dancing. Then a man comes, desiring life and shrinking from death, 
desiring pleasure and abhorring pain, they say to him, Now, look here, mister, you must take this bowl filled to the brim with oil and carry it on your head in between the great crowd and the beauty queen. A man with a raised sword will follow right behind you and wherever you spill even a drop of oil, right there will he cut off your head. Wow. <laughs> now what do you think, monks? Will that man, not paying attention to the bowl of oil on his head, let himself get distracted outside, looking at the crowd, looking at the beauty queen? No, Lord, the monks say. I have, given, I have given you this parable to convey a meaning. The meaning is this. The bowl filled to the brim with oil stands for mindfulness, immersed in the body or concerned with the body. Thus you should train yourselves. We will develop mindfulness, immersed in the body. We will pursue it, hand it the reins. This is, must be Ajahn Brahm's translation. And take it as a basis. Give it a grounding. Steady it, consolidate it and undertake it. This is how you should train yourselves. So that's a, a really a strong image, isn't it, of mindfulness brought on by the sense of fear, actually. It's, it's motivated by fear. And you notice uh, quite often that fear can bring us in very much into the present moment, if, especially if it's something that happens suddenly. And uh, I've heard of people, and I've had, those experience, I had an experience like it myself, a friend of mine told me about he had an accident in his car and he said everything slowed down and like moment by moment he was aware. And I thought, wow, this is mindfulness. <laughs> but we don't usually have mindfulness like that. But when there's this emergency, when there's this sort of fear, when there's, uh, there is this sense of um, wishing to survive, trying to survive, and then it comes up very, very, it can come up very strongly. So I thought I'd give a little bit of background to uh, mindfulness and read what the Buddha says about the four focuses of mindfulness. This is Ajahn Brahm's translation. And then go to the this refrain that this woman who'd been at a retreat found very useful for the meditation. Because she said to me that when she... Because she'd already been meditating a long time. It's very good for experienced meditators. So she had enough stability in the mind and she would, she would also make the mind peaceful first and then bring up this refrain and use it to look at her present experience in the meditation. And she said that brought more peace to the mind, more calm to the mind. And, uh, and I know Ayakima, she had this lovely saying that, you know, uh, if we have one moment of calm, we'll bring one moment of insight. One moment of insight can bring one moment of calm, building on each other, feeding each other. So they're not... Sometimes you hear of... Uh, we have this big debate, samatha and vipassana. <laughs> but really, we need both qualities, actually, because if we don't have enough steadiness, samatha in the mind, we won't see deeply. We won't have the power to penetrate. But also, you know, we need that uh, samatha for looking deeply into things, and this is the vipassana. Vipassana translates as seeing clearly, seeing clearly. So when we have a very still, peaceful mind, we can see much, much more clearly. So this is, I'll give you the translation, I'll give you a Ajahn Brahm's translation of some of the aspects of the uh, four focuses of mindfulness. And then we can 
go on to the refrain. The four focuses of mindfulness lead in one direction only, to the purification of beings, to going beyond sadness and crying, to the disappearance of physical and mental suffering, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbāna. What are the four? And we'll get into those in a minute. So this is realizing the truth through our own experience of this body. And the four areas the Buddha is con- uh, focusing on, for those who know Satipatthana, it's very easy. First one is contemplation of the body, kaya nupasana, and the famous, most famous one exercise in that. There are 14 exercises. One is the breathing, the breath uh, meditation. That's the most famous. And then postures, activities, there's an asuba uh, meditation, elements of the body, um, and the cemetery contemplation. So it all adds up. And the second aspect that the Buddha said is worth focusing on, is, is important to focus on, is a contemplation of feeling. And this is, he, he translates it, Ajahn Brahm translate, translates it as experience, because feeling isn't quite the right word for it, but nevertheless... And this is the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality that we experience with uh, every moment of experience, actually. Often it's neutral, so we don't notice it. But if it's pleasant, yes, we do notice it. It's unpleasant, we really notice it too. So this is a very important uh, contemplation because this world is driven, we're driven by chasing, most people chasing after pleasant feeling and running away from unpleasant feeling and ignoring neutral feeling. So it's a very important area. And then the third area that the Buddha was focusing on is a contemplation of the state of the mind. This is called chitta So looking at the qualities that are present, or if they're not there, noticing that they're not there. So for instance, he gives the example of like greed, hatred, and delusion in the mind, anger, um, desire in the mind, confusion in the mind and a mind that is without them. So the, whatever one is experiencing in the mind, uh, this is uh, the area of um, citta nupasana, contemplation of the state of the mind. This is a very important area, because it links too to feeling, because if there's a pleasant feeling, often the state of the mind will be a pleasant reaction, you know, or, you know, like desire can come up. It's a pleasant feeling, then we probably want to get it, get something. So this desire can come up. And the last area is uh, the contemplation of what they call mind objects. But often I think it's more useful to see this in terms of seeing experience through the focus of Dhamma, through the through these various uh, categories that the Buddha said were useful for ways we can look at our experience at life. And so these are, these are um, things like looking at the hindrances to meditation, hindrances to our lives, actually, and the five components that make up this body and mind. This is the, the five khandhas. The six senses, this is including the mind and the five senses, and the seven factors of enlightenment, those things that lead to enlightenment, which are actually the meditation uh, factors, really, and then the Four Noble Truths. So that's the area of Satipatthana. But what we really want to focus on, or what I really want to focus on tonight, is the refrain. This is, with each of these four 
areas that I mentioned, the body, uh, feelings, uh, the state of the mind, and these mind objects, there is a refrain, and they often call this the insight refrain. And it's looking into uh, our experience of these four in, ter- in these terms, basically in terms of what's going on internally, what's going externally, uh, what's, what's arising and what's passing away. Last week we had a meditation on uh, Anicca Sanya. This is the, imp- uh, the perception of impermanence. And this is really part of this Satipatthana too, this four foundations or four focuses of mindfulness. So the Buddha says here, this is, Ajahn Brahm translates it as the purpose for doing Satipatthana because it is really. In this way, you are aware of your own body, this is internally, your own experience or feelings, this is Vedana, and your own mind states, this is Chitana and the Dhamma objects, this is uh, looking at uh, our experience through the lens of Dhamma, Dhamma Nupassana. Or you're aware of the uh, aware that the bodies of others are of the same nature as yours, or you abide aware of the nature of both your own and others other bodies. So this is when we are using the breath, for instance. You know, we're aware of our breath, but the Buddha is saying you can actually use other people's breath as an object or even to me it's more like the understanding you know that others are breathing and uh, this is this is something that we can see that it's a common thing because the dhamma works from the you know our individual our, our individual experience to the universal and we can see that the breath sustains us and it sustains all beings so that's looking at what's going on internally and externally, but more in the sense of uh, this breath, <laughs> which we say it's my breath, is just breath. It's not a it's not a, a, a possession of ours. It's it's a, just a function that happens by itself. And as I often say to people, if I was responsible for breathing, I might have died. I would have died years ago because I would have forgotten. <laughs> You know, and the same with the heart. We we often think we own this body, but if if we did, surely we'd be running it as well. We're not. We're not running it. We don't even know uh, a lot of how it's working. We don't have the instruction manual. <laughs> we haven't read the instruction manual. So that's the first aspect of internally, externally, either internally or externally, or both. We're looking at our own bodies. Uh, the, in this case, the breath looking at our own breath, breath in other beings, everyone here, all beings really. Because once we take that to the universal level, then we can become insight. And then we can look at both, what internally and externally. And I, Kima, she does a, she did a, it works very well actually, I should, one day we'll do this, is she does an elements meditation using this. These are the four elements of the body, all material things actually, which is that, you know, the solid earth element, the water element, the liquidy, the liquid aspects of the body, the air element like the breath, and the heat element, the fire element they often call it. And that meditation is great because what what you do is you, you get in contact with each of those elements in the body, the pressure of the body sitting on the seat, 
and then you take it into your, your awareness, moves it into the seat, the floor, feeling the solidity of the floor, feeling the solidity of the walls, the earth around here, the buildings. You take it right out and you do it with each element. And it's really, really quite powerful because you realise all the elements that our body's made of, everything else is. <laughs> and it's a very similar nature. So that's the internal and external and maybe sometime I do that uh, elements meditation. I haven't done it for a long time. So, and the second thing, the second aspect of insight, so we have internal, external, or both together. And then the Buddha says, or else you abide aware of what causes the arising of the body. And the body, in this case, is the breath. We'll be using the breath. But the, the causes that the Buddha mentions are the four nutriments. These are the four aharas. If we don't have these four things, we're quickly dead. <laughs> First of all, is food. <laughs> That's material food. But if there is no contact, you know, sense contact, uh, also that's a, a necessity for being alive. And also a sense of will or intention is, in, is an aspect uh, of... Uh, of, of life, actually, important aspect. And the attention, manasikara, what we can focus the mind on. And so this is the arising factors for the body and the, the mental factors. And the other, other aspects, there are arising factors for feelings arising. And uh, they, I'll mention those in a minute. Usually for feeling uh, to arise, you know, this is pleasant unpleasant or neutral, what do we need? We need contact. We need some physical, uh, some uh, sense contact, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking, you know, or the mind object, you could say. Uh, or you abide aware that the body will cease, so that when the four nutrients cease, so when any of these aspects have gone, then that object, uh, the, the body itself, will uh, cease. So for instance, without food, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> but also the Buddha is saying without contact, without intention, and without, without intention or will, and without attention, you know, being able to focus on things, it, it will cease. It's easy, yes. Or you abide contemplating the body's causal nature of both arising and ceasing. So this is seeing impermanence, what I was talking about last week, the arising, the persisting of experience, but changing as it persists, and then passing away. And this is a very important insight to, that liberates people, that gives them the basis for breakthrough to, um, to the first stage of enlightenment, stream entry. And then the Buddha continues... So we have that first one, internal, external, or both. And then we have arising and the ceasing, or arising and ceasing. You can have it either, actually. You can have arising, or you focus on ceasing, or you focus on arising and ceasing. You've got three options. So, and then he continues, or else mindfulness that it is just a body, or it's just feeling, or it's just mental states, or it's just objects. It's not me, it's not mine, it's not myself. And that these are bound up with impermanence, with change, bound up 
with being unsatisfying, uh, not completely satisfying, fulfilling, is established in one to the extent necessary for mindfulness and wisdom essential for liberation. And then the last thing, this is beautiful, and you abide independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So this is somebody who has reached a stage of enlightenment, really, either the first stage of enlightenment or either a higher stage, of the, either the first stage or full enlightenment, it could be even, because that person understands the world, they've got this insight into impermanence, into change, the things are all in flux, and so, and they realise because of that, there can't be a permanent happiness, a permanent satisfaction and there can't be a permanent me <laughs> we're all you know uh, i call um, a work in progress we're developing all the time so there's not a permanent me and so this person understanding that doesn't cling to anything because he knows that this is all moving and there's nothing to cling on nothing to desire really nothing that's going to satisfy permanently so, and so just uh, so that's what we will look at during the meditation. The process that I was intending to do is very important. We have stability in the mind, so we have to first of all get a bit of stability, and then to bring up this refrain, so that uh, we can uh, then, as we're meditating, we can keep this in mind, and then we can have uh, afterwards if people. Uh, can give some feedback. It would be interesting to see whether they found it useful or not. So the two prime areas, as I mentioned, internally uh, or externally or both together. And uh, this is, comes with the understanding that this is, not, this is not, not just my breath, it's the same for all. And then the arising, the, past, the second aspect, arising and passing away of... Um, what we're experiencing, the breath in this case, and uh, the insight into an impermanence, uh, into unsatisfactoriness, and not self. So I think we're getting pretty close. So what I'm going to suggest is we, we use uh, an approach that Mahasi side or often um, promoted. I learnt here, actually, from a Burmese monk, and his name was Sayadaw Upandita. But it wasn't the famous Sayadaw Upandita. <laughs> it was Sayadaw Upandita Jr. And uh, he was very good. He, he used to teach on a Thursday night here. And uh, in this, the primary object, say for instance, is the breath. And this is the Kayanapasana, we call the awareness or the contemplation of the body or mindfulness of the body even. And the secondary objects were everything else. So feelings, you know, when feelings come up, pleasant, unpleasant or neutral, um, whether mind states come up, and these are like moods that come in the mind, emotional reactions, greed, hatred and delusion. Sometimes it's the experience that the mind is coming together, this is like samadhi, or the mind is very distracted. <laughs> this is like uh, uh, when, we, when the mind is not able to focus. And the third area that are secondary objects is when we look at experience from in terms of Dhamma. If people know Dhamma, 
then they'll tend to, can tend to see things in terms of the hindrances or these five components of body and mind and uh, so on, the, the seven, uh, seven factors of enlightenment or the six senses. So the, and then we become aware, we use the main object like an anchor, that's the breath in this case, and then whenever there's a secondary object, we'll, we, when, when we notice it, we tend, we can, once we're aware of it, and we don't reject it, but we can come back to the breath when, when it's sort of the energy has finished for watching that. So the thing I like about this approach is that it, oftentimes people think anything but the primary object, what, let's say for instance the breath, everything else is a distraction and they get ill will towards it, they feel negative about it. And of course that is a hindrance to the meditation, not a help. And the other aspect I was just going to mention before we start, oh yeah, that's good, is that uh, the attitude that we bring to the meditation is paramount. And that's very, very important. The, the way we are looking at our experience, you know, the mind state we have, very, very important. The objects of, are not so important, but the, but the attitude that's in the mind, the, the uh, positive uh, attitude in the mind, very useful, uh, is very good because what we can do is, uh, and I often teach it, is it, it, it reduces the negative aspects of the mind, we call these the hindrances, so it allows the meditation and the mind to settle down, this is very useful, but it can also um, make the meditation object much more attractive than, uh, you know, for instance, a lot of people find the breath fairly neutral unexciting and therefore find it difficult to stay with but if you have a pleasant emotion with it like uh, thankfulness is the one we're going to use tonight then it's much easier it's got an emotion a feeling that's that's going with it so tonight i thought we'd focus on gratitude and this is the sense of thankfulness appreciation um, and it's a, a sense of connection with people when we're grateful. There's a sense of connection with people, a sense of uh, being in debt in a good way, you know, because we're very um, appreciative of somebody's help or someone that's been important in our lives. And this can be all sorts of people, you know, parents. Uh, it can be grandparents, friends. It can be teachers can be people who we've, we don't really know. We know their writings or their books, like the Buddha. Uh, can be very, we can be very grateful for the teachings from him. And uh, this evening, it's very useful if, to arouse great uh, gratitude to use someone that we're grateful to or something we're grateful to in life, you know, the positives in our lives. So this evening I'll use that. As, as the sort of attitude. There are lots of attitudes one can use. And you know, I often teach other ones, contentment. Contentment can be happy to be here. Another one for gratitude can be, I'm so lucky. <laughs> That's nice. And also uh, metta, loving kindness, compassion, the joy for others, uh, success or good qualities, and equanimity, uh, this sort of balanced mind that's supporting people, but knowing that they run on their own habits, their own conditioning. So now we can get ready for the meditation. But 
Yes, yes. Maybe first we can just stand up for a minute and, and, and stretch our legs and then sit down. It's always good to... If you're more comfortable on a chair, please use a chair because uh, meditation is mind work, not body work, even though sometimes we use the body as a uh, focus for the meditation. So the first thing for us to, to do is check out the body, see how it is, and to uh, arrange the body as, as comfortable, make it as comfortable as possible, with a sense of balance. And uh, sometimes very helpful with the back to be uh, reasonably straight, not rigid, and the head to be balanced over the shoulders. And we can feel, uh, feel that. And, move the shoulders, make sure that they're sort of loose. And place the hands uh, either on our lap uh, or on our knees, however we find very comfortable. We can close the eyes just to get in contact with the body even more and feel whatever adjustments we need to make. And we can bring to mind an intention for the meditation this evening. Just to develop a, a calm mind, a peaceful mind. And then to look at what we're experiencing in terms of these two focuses of internal, external and arising and passing away. But to, give, to begin with, we can visualize someone who we feel a lot of, uh, we feel gratitude towards, we feel thankful towards, we really appreciate. Could be someone or something in our life, it doesn't have to be a person, some situation. And to see if this brings up a feeling for us, it's usually quite a, a warm feeling.
and we can bring this feeling if we've managed to generate this feeling has come up usually it arises from this cause and to feel the mind and the body with it this feeling of thanks of appreciation filling the mind any mind states that we're experiencing with this sense of warmth that thankfulness has and relaxing the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes just going through the body and giving it this warmth of thankfulness thankfulness that you have a body that works reasonably well and moving through the body relaxing it soothing it giving it what I call a mental massage from the top of the head down the body to the toes going through the different parts relaxing them with this warm kind attention And we can bring this feeling of thankfulness to the present moment. This body sitting here. We're aware of the body sitting here. And bringing this thankfulness to this experience of the present moment. Letting go of the past and the future. Aware of the pressure of sitting on the seat or cushion. Aware of the temperature in the room, sounds. whatever we're aware of, but with this feeling, warm feeling of thankfulness. When it comes to our attention, we can become aware of the breath and infuse, combine this feeling of warmth of thankfulness with the breath coming in and going out. Even thanks are coming on the in-breath and thanks on the out-breath.
And if any other objects of attention focus come up, maybe it's a feeling or a state of mind, or even um, looking at things from a Dhamma point of view, or experience of the hindrances, whatever it is, just to be aware of it. And then when that energy has finished, not rejecting it, and then come back to the breath, the primary anchor, with this feeling of thanks. And we have a feeling of thanks towards any of the things we experience. They're all the food of mindfulness, food for insight.
and now we can focus on looking at our experience. We don't have to think a lot in terms of one our own breath internally, the breathing happening in this body. What's breathing? Who's breathing? Or we can focus on the fact others, everyone else here is breathing. This breath sustains life. Or we can focus on both, that we're breathing and everybody else here is breathing. Everyone in the world, all beings, living beings, are breathing. Is this my breath? And the same with any of these secondary objects that come up, whether they be feelings or mental states, or looking at things from a Dhamma perspective, knowing that these feelings in myself have, but they're also in everyone here, in all beings, living sentient beings. These mental states are in myself are in everyone here and all beings that are alive and this looking at our experience in terms of reality Dhamma is something we can do we do others here do everyone tries to make sense of what they're experiencing.
And now we can bring in another way of looking at the breath. And this is looking at the arising factors of the breath or the ceasing of the breath or the arising and ceasing. So we can see, we can experience as the breath comes in and builds up. And then there's usually a pause and then it starts to go out. And then there's a pause and it starts to come in. But we notice there's a feeling, there's um, like a contact when it starts to arise again. And a subtle wanting to breathe in again. And a pressure to breathe out again. So right, noticing a rising of the breath or the ceasing of the breath everything that's involved, or the arising and ceasing of this breath that we're experiencing now. Seeing all the changes, all the things that are contributing to the experience of arising, persisting and passing away of the breath.
can bring up the third aspect of insight, that this is simply to be aware that this is the breath. It's not, it doesn't belong to me, it's not my breath. Just net the attention, the awareness necessary for keeping the mind with the breath continuously and bringing understanding, new data from the process. This is simply the breath, just the breath, coming and going within this body, with all bodies that are alive. And we can dwell, not clinging, not owning the breath or anything in the world. Not owning these feelings, these mind states, or these Dhamma reflections, seeing, th seeing things in terms of reality. Not clinging to anything in this world, just letting it be as it is. Arisen from causes and conditions and passing and persisting and passing away moment by moment.
we can share the energy of this meditation, whatever peace, whatever insight, understanding we've developed with everyone here and all beings everywhere that they may develop more mindfulness, more awareness, more understanding which can bring them peace in their lives, which can bring peace to the world. And we can bring to mind the wish to develop more of this awareness, this understanding of our body and mind, all bodies and mind, and bring peace and wisdom to our lives, not only on the meditation cushion, but in daily life, seeing what connects us to all beings. And we can anchor this feeling of awareness, whatever peace, whatever understanding we've developed or have seen in our minds, so that we can return to it any time during the day or night, this knowing. We can just briefly review the meditation, how we feel now as compared to the beginning of the meditation and what stood out for us, what did we learn. And what were the causes for my experience or my understanding during the meditation? and slowly come out of the meditation, opening our eyes slowly and moving our bodies to make them more comfortable.
So now's the time for asking if there's any comments, questions, or complaints. I hope that wasn't too uh, too deep for people who are new to meditation. It's maybe a little bit uh, the deep end, we say. But the important thing with the insight is there must be some stability in the mind for insight to really happen has to be some strength, that ability to stay with experience, that ability to look into experience. And usually our minds are moving all the time, very, very rapidly. And so this uh, calming of the mind, very important aspect of it. And actually, oftentimes, when we calm the mind, we start to see things quite differently. <laughs> and uh, because the mind can actually stay with things, look into things, which is... Uh, gives rise to these insights. So, are there any online? Oh, that's good. I always say it's a good sign if uh, there are no questions. No, nothing online, that's good. So, this is, a, um, I hope people found it, found this useful. It's a, it's it maybe a bit detailed. Do people think it was a bit detailed? You know, there's quite a bit in that refrain to look at, you know, internally, externally, arising and passing away and so on. But it's a very, it's a useful way to look at things. And last week, as I mentioned, we did the perception of impermanence because the Buddha says, you know, encourages us to develop these perceptions because, not to brainwash us, but just so that we focus in areas so we see that things are arising, they're persisting and passing away. Usually we're not really interested in most of that. We like the arising bit. The rest we're not so much focusing on. So the, the Buddha is encouraging us to develop that perception, that ability to look at our experience in, in terms of change. And that way we start to we'll start to get the data that will give rise to insight. And it may, it very, as I said last week, it won't necessarily happen while we're sitting on the cushion, you know, maybe contemplating. Uh, it, these things can come together at the most unexpected times, <laughs> when we least expect it, but they're the right time for it to happen. A small thing can trigger it. And I mentioned last week, you know, the uh, nun at the time of the Buddha who was washing her feet, and she became fully enlightened because she was, before she went into her hut, she was just cleaning her feet, washing them. A little bit of water ran down the hill, uh, down the slope, and sank into the ground. And some went further and sank into the ground. And some went further still and sank into the ground. And it gave her a really deep insight into impermanence. Another nun was just uh, blowing out the lamp in the evening. They had oil lamps then, and that was enough to give her an insight into the you know the conditions that supported that lamp, having light, having the the flame, the oil, and the wick, and seeing, and all that came together at that moment. It wasn't why she was sitting on the cushion. <laughs> But they didn't, probably didn't have cushions then, uh, or walking on the walking path and contemplating these things. It came together when the right situation brought that focus. And the Buddha calls this the, 
you know, the, uh, well, we call it the opportune moment, the moment when the mind is ready for it. It's got enough steadiness and the event or the occasion brings the whole focus of this attention to say to impermanence. Um, in the case of the nun with the, uh, the lamp, the conditions that support things uh, coming, arising and then passing away. Um, so this is very, we, we can't tell when that will happen. But if we're looking in a particular way, if we're developing this perception of impermanence, if we're developing a perception of non-self, you know, that, for instance, during the meditation, this breath is just a breath. We, 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 we tend to think it's my breath. But actually, I found that quite... Did you find that good? I found it good when I, when I was thinking of the, my own breath, but then when I think, everybody here is breathing. And then the whole world's breathing. I thought, these big lungs, you know, just going on, you know, for all the animals too, you know. And it, it uh, gives a great sense of connection, but it also gives a great sense of uh, non-self. This is a natural function that's happening. And as I mentioned before, who's breathing? Well, I mentioned during the meditation. Who's breathing, you know? Is it me breathing or the body breathing? And so these are very good ways to develop that perception of, of non-self, of things uh, not necessarily belonging to us. We don't necessarily own them. And that's actually a big weight off our shoulders, actually, to be honest. And so this is a perception that the Buddha encouraged us to develop, seeing non-self in our experience, that it's not happening. I'm not breathing because I'm willing myself to breathe or... Um, I'm not running the show in terms of, not only in terms of my breathing, but in terms of my feelings, in terms of the mental states that come up, and also the, uh, uh, the aspects of Dhamma, or reality, that I look at my experience from. These come from conditions and causes that arise. Yes, I put attention on some of these things, and then they tend to grow, and they will give rise to other results. So this is what we see, you know, this process of non-self. We see the process of uh, anicca. This is impermanence, change. But we also see, because of, uh, the Buddha said, because things are always changing, we cannot find a permanent satisfaction either, a permanent happiness. This is what most people want in life. Uh, and we're looking for uh, desperately and you see it in the movies all the time, the happy ever after at the end of the movie. And we know that's not the end of the story for sure. <laughs> There's probably much, much more to it. So uh, we're all looking for that. And, you know, and causes the... When we are looking for these things in life that life can't provide, it causes a lot of our problems. When we want things and people, ourselves and our possessions to be permanent, not to change, not to break down, not to disintegrate. This is going against reality. This is not the way the world is. But once we accept that, expect the unexpected, that things will change, that things can happen very unexpectedly, then we, in a sense, can relax. And in actual fact, somebody who sees these, you know, this, uh, this very deeply, has these insights, far from being depressed, they are very joyful and happy, you know, and because they've given up fighting with the world, given up trying to get from the world what it cannot give, you know, permanence. And also that sense of seeking happiness so desperately. We're seeking happiness. And a lovely, there was a lovely saying 
that I read out last week at the meditation day, I think we read it out, but Ajahn Chah said it was only when one gives up seeking happiness, you know, looking for happiness so desperately from the world that one can really be happy. <laughs> because, you know, it's a continual battle trying to find this happiness and in, in, in the process encountering a lot of unhappiness or dissatisfaction, we're not getting what we want. This is the essence of unsatisfactoriness. And also seeing non-self, that things, this body, for instance, this breath is part of nature, it comes with the body, the breathing happens. <laughs> seeing that and seeing the factors that give, give rise to this experience of breathing, this experience of the body existing and not owning it. Because when we own the body, there's a lot of suffering. You know, we worry about how it looks. We worry about uh, when it changes and there's sicknesses in the body. We worry and uh, can feel fearful about it dying, which it has to, all bodies have to die. And as I always say to people, it's, it reminds us that the most important area for us is the mind, <laughs> the quality that we develop, qualities we develop in the mind, we cause to arise in the mind. And these are the things that we can take with us. These bodies, we can't take with us. And most people, when they get old, they don't want to take them with them. <laughs> they have no desire to take an aged body that is giving them heaps of problems, the knees don't work, and this doesn't work, that doesn't work, can't hear, can't smell, can't taste, and everything is closing down. So why would you want to take it with you? No way. But the mind will take up, uh, we say in Buddhism, will move on and uh, will take rebirth. And hopefully as a human being, take up a new body and use that as a vehicle for experience, for learning. And hopefully, you know, the Buddha was encouraging all of us for liberation, liberation from being born again and again. And this is what uh, the Buddha saw and this is what he um, is offering to uh, all beings, you know, to... Uh, this end of being reborn again and again. It's like going to work nine to five forever. <laughs> this is being reborn. I think we had a, I heard there was a movie, wasn't there, Groundhog Day, and it's, it's a similar idea. That's a great, I haven't seen it, but it's a great idea because that, that puts it pretty, what the Buddha saw, you know. And of course, you know, he, he saw the night of his enlightenment. He saw his, had millions of previous births, and he'd seen he'd been all these, had all these different births. It was different, um, different places. Uh, different things were the food that he liked and disliked. Uh, had different name, uh, different you know characteristics, and so he would have seen. Uh, he would have got very tired of this being born again, again. He also would have seen, who was I, <laughs> in this stream of different, of evolving. Uh, um, lifetimes, evolving and changing lifetimes. Who was I? You know, so that came brings up non-self too, and that sense of I never, never found the perfect happiness, <laughs> that permanent happiness which we all want to, we're all looking for, and as Ajahn Chah called, it's like looking where well, he talked about peace, it's looking for a turtle with a moustache. It just doesn't exist. <laughs> so once we can stop the war with reality, wanting it to be a way that it can't be, then we can really be happy. And that's the message of all the enlightened beings. They're very happy people, not depressed. They're very happy.
because they've stopped that war, wanting things to be other than they, they are. They can't be any other way than they are. So I'd like to finish there and uh, um, thank you very much for contributing to the evening. And uh, so, and may we share the merits, which I should have mentioned actually, with those that are suffering from the bushfires, the animals and the people. And very nice that uh, we've had this rain and the cold weather. It's pretty amazing, actually, the cold weather. And last night, was, uh, uh, I think, I don't know if many people here were involved in it. There was, they call it in Sinhala Satya uh, Kriya, Satya Kriya. Did anybody hear about that? I know Chinta did. I sent it to her. But they had at nine o'clock a lot of people, I think, throughout the world focusing on the bushfires. And, and visualising rain falling on it and putting the fires out. But I'm not making any claims by any means, but, but uh, it means when there's all this energy focused, all this mental power, it can have an extraordinary effect. Because the mind can over material things, and particularly over our bodies. So maybe that contributed to the, uh, the cold weather we're having which has been just the thing we needed, I think. So hopefully they're getting the rain and the cold weather. So for those who'd like to, we can just pay respects to the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha and finish off.